There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. We've just been reading some of your emails. We've had one from Alice, long-time listener Alice, Yay. who we always love it when you get in touch. She says that she's been enjoying the podcast lately, our discussion of Woody Allen plus the Kinks, but I guess that's because I used a Kinks song. Yes. A- oh, your music choices in this <laughs> podcast, I think, are kind of unsung, but fantastic. I'm so glad. Thank you for the praise. She wanted to recommend Transparent to us, which I have watched like one episode maybe of the first season way back when and then not re-engaged with and it's clearly something that I should be engaging yeah, with. Yeah, same. I've heard such good things and it's been on the kind of fictitious list in my head of things to watch and I just have not got around to it, so yeah. I need to. Terrible from us, but we will definitely get on it at some point. She also says that she really enjoyed The Lesser Bohemians. It was like nothing I'd ever read before, so thank you for that recommendation. Our little book club of 18-year-olds loved it, haha. <laughs> Which just warms my heart so I much. I love hearing about Alice's book group, her yeah. seriously book group that they get to, I think it's in Glasgow they are, aren't they? Yeah, they I get together. So. I'm really glad you enjoyed that. Yeah. And we're hoping to do some more books in yeah. the future really aren't we yeah. we're hoping to sort of knuckle down on some reading because i think it's a great way for you guys to join in with us and read alongside us and yeah it's just fun let us know if you have any thoughts about particularly like upcoming books you want to hear us talk about and we're going to try and sort of plan a bit ahead and maybe post what book we're going to do so you can maybe try and get it in advance all that kind of stuff she also said she hopes we both feel better soon and i think we do don't we yeah i think so we definitely i'm definitely less full of cold than i was yeah. a week ago i'm sure it was really like audible <laughs> in, the, in the podcast yeah it's not just just croaky voice but also just sadness sadness <laughs> with life <laughs> so the first thing we're going to talk about this week is amanda knox a 2016 netflix documentary by debut filmmakers rod blackhurst and brian mcginn it follows the events of the 2007 meredith kircher murder case in perugia italy for which amanda knox was convicted and then finally cleared last year did you kill meredith kircher no were you there that night no Do you know anything you have not told police? No. That's everyone's nightmare. Either I'm a psychopath in sheep's clothing, or I am you. This was obviously such a huge deal, and I really feel like I wasn't very engaged with it at the time. It's the kind of thing that now I think I would follow quite, you know, morbidly. Mm. 
But at the time, I think maybe because when it actually happened, I was still at school and probably just not actually reading the news in that way. Yeah, I was at university and it kind of impacted me in a very specific way, which was I remember there being extra talks about campus safety for people who were doing study abroad. Right. Because Knox and Kircher were both in Perugia on like Erasmus or, you know, equivalent sort of year out of university study at foreign university schemes. And there were people in my year who were going to do that. But yeah, that was my only real knowledge. Like I didn't read the Daily Mail, which mm. judging by this documentary had like a foxy noxy front page every day for a year. Yeah, at least. exactly. So coming to this documentary, the first thing that I was really struck by immediately was like, whoa, the access here immediately feels mm. uncomfortable. Almost in the opening three seconds, we get like footage from inside the murder scene from very soon after Meredith's yeah. body was discovered. I didn't love, as a gen- more general point, which I'm sure we'll come back to, like the way Meredith is kind of treated in this documentary. Obviously, it's called Amanda Knox. She's not actually the focus of it. But in those first three seconds, you like see shots of her foot like yeah. repeatedly and I don't feel like they're justified by much conversation about her do you know what I mean if there was a lot of discussion of her as a person then you could see those shots without feeling like she was completely dehumanized apparently but... that more generally was a deliberate choice by her family I was reading about some of the reaction to the documentary and the case more generally they're saying that her family has always really guarded what they see as her privacy mm-hmm. so they haven't released lots of photographs of her looking happy when she was alive they haven't released really much personal information about her because they felt like even though she's dead no one has any right to know her apart from us Mm. so i think in the absence of lots of like facebook photos to flash up of her she either disappears slightly from the story or they had to use the police footage which is unfortunately grisly i think it's one of these problems with all true crime stuff which is no matter how you look at it that victim is getting exploited Mm. in some way whether she's kept at a dignified distance which can look dismissive or whether you sort of rake over old photos which can feel really horrible and intrusive so it's this weird it feels really uncomfortable right yeah and her family didn't participate in the documentary either they so are they're in it but i guess that's footage from other stuff it's like they've... footage from press conferences yeah. years ago and stuff like that and mostly it's just edited down to them saying like in reaction to a, a verdict you know we're glad that justice has been done at last that kind of statement i just was really struck by how much we're like encouraged to throw ourselves into the details of this like horrible thing and I I don't know why it struck me more than other things that I've watched this year and in previous years but for some reason it just did yeah well something that struck me about it is that so this case was in 2007 so it was already I think in a roughly similar media landscape to the one we live in now like the main journalist that they interview throughout he talks about people blogging and uploading stories during the case and that kind of thing so it wasn't like it happened in a print-only media culture Mm. But at the same time, it happened in a pre-true crime boom era. So I felt like I was getting a weird kind of retconned, making a murderer style approach Mm. to a case that happened before that style of telling true crime stories existed. Yeah, I guess the thing with this stuff is, is like people have always just been so keen on being like, oh, I know who really did this. Mm. Like, that's such a human impulse. And, like, even the main detective in this program is like, I loved Sherlock Holmes. And then later you see him literally smoking a pipe. Yeah, I know. What the fuck? 
this weird fan fiction like life that's going on with this man and like that is such a base impulse that so mm. many of us have i want to know whether amanda did it i think i can tell by looking in her eyes you know yeah and i think that continues you know in in all the stuff that we see today and in this documentary the fact that her conviction was overturned based on dna evidence as well like you yeah know, so when... basically they this is this is similar to the making a murder yes, stuff so is, they yeah. they found amanda's dna on a knife handle and meredith's dna on a knife blade and that was really instrumental in their original conviction yeah. it, they realized later on that the, those traces were so so small and the crime scene was handled so so terribly that it could just literally have been contamination anything. in the lab or yeah. anything yeah so on that basis her appeal was upheld and i think it went it went all the way to italy supreme court last year and the appeal was still upheld so i don't think she can be tried again for it yeah and without that knife there's no dna of hers in the murder scene at all and no witness statement that puts her at the flat at the time or anything like that so regardless of whether or not she did it the evidence isn't there right and that's basically how a lot of people feel about stephen avery yes it's like so much of the handling of evidence was fucked up that even if he did do it, they just don't have enough evidence to really convict him in a fair manner. And that's why people are so outraged about Mm. his case, right? If you start convicting people based on feelings, or as you say, looks in eyes, then the whole system is arbitrary and pointless anyway. So whether you believe something to be true or not, if you cannot show it to be true. Mm -hmm. So this dragged up uh, so much stuff for me from Janet Malcolm's amazing book, The Journalist and the Murderer which everyone should read because it's so great. And it's a lot of it is about like the ethics of crime journalism, basically. Mm. And I thought about it a lot when Making of a Murder happened, but I thought about it even more in this relation to this documentary because, bizarrely, the person who comes off worst in this whole documentary is not like a potential murderer or a shitty policeman. It's a journalist yeah. called Nick Pisa who writes for the Daily Mail and he comes across absolutely terribly. He's like yeah. the worst, right? If they had cast someone to... To play a like evil grubbing journalist in a film you would cast this guy yeah he's so shockingly inappropriate at all times really early on he's like really boasting about all the front pages he got out mm. of foxy noxy and like how scandalous it was and how attractive both the girls were and how cool it was that it was potentially like a sex orgy murder at no point does he seem to say like my sympathies are with the the victim's family or (laughs) anything and then at one point he's literally like you know i can only compare the high of getting these bylines with like having sex and you're like really you really Mm. think that's the appropriate like comparison in this horrific instance so he is horrific absolutely but in some ways i not exactly because I didn't admire him, but I found his honesty, refreshing, his horrible honesty, quite refreshing. Because I think the public, the newspaper reading public, likes to lie to itself about why it's reading about this kind of thing. Right? Absolutely. You know, they was oh, because it's a you know it's a really important news story and it's very tragic. That's mm-hmm. why I'm reading page after page of stuff about Foxy Noxy's alleged voodoo killing. Whereas he's like, there were two attractive women involved. Amanda had this kind of manner about her that made her seem difficult. There was this kind of shadowy unknown in the background. Oh, and the kind of supposedly like ritualistic, sex fueled nature of the killing titillated people as well. Of course, it just ran and ran and ran, mm. you know? So yeah. he was just really upfront about that. Yeah. In a way that is sort of refreshing. I mean, I've heard people say this about the Madeleine McCann story as well, that like, 
just everything about that story ticked every single tabloid newspaper box. If the girl had happened to have brown hair, it would not be the, the Madeleine McCann story, story yeah. is today. It's just when all of those weird, like, voyeuristic factors collide. Of course, it was a horrible thing to happen to Meredith Kircher's family, etc., etc. But horrible things happen to people every day. Mm. So to try and analyse why one horrible thing becomes infamous yeah. and, and it, another doesn't is interesting. I think, yeah, it's definitely true that people lie to themselves about why they read these stories. And it was funny to me that Nick Pease was like, you know, everyone complains about how horrible and sensationalised the stories were, but, you know, they were the same people who were reading it, which is true. But I find it funny that he uses that as a sort of defence because it's sort of like people are telling you that although they will read this, they sort of wish that they couldn't. Yeah. And so that's when you have to step in and be like, okay, at what point do I stop covering this story? Or at what point do I cover it more sensitively? Or at what point do I, for example, double check my facts? Which was a very weird part where he was like, I'm not expected to do that. Yeah, where he was like, well, you know, I'm just reporting what people are telling me. I mean, I can't, you know, check it all. And it's like, no, you you can. That's literally literally your job. That's the foundation is that you have to like double check your sources. You have to have more than one source coming to you with a story. I did not know, for instance, that they published Amanda Knox's like prison diary that was presumably leaked by a guard I think someone like stole it from her cell and leaked it as horrible as I think that is you know if he's going to publish it as Amanda Knox's diary he has to verify that it is Amanda Knox's diary right (laughs) and in the same way that if a colleague of hers from the bar she worked at told her some things about Amanda you have to check that they actually knew her basic stuff like that at the minimum but yeah he didn't seem to think that was part of his job no so really bizarre I'm not sure about how she comes off in the documentary because I don't know much about the story I was watching it with my boyfriend and before we went in he was like 100% she was involved like no way Mm -hmm. is she 100% innocent I didn't feel that way watching this but I also found it at times overly sympathetic towards her because she's like front and centre in this documentary she's got like time speaking to the camera tearing up telling everyone how difficult it was for her and how horrible it was for her family and how she contemplated suicide and all of this stuff it's very hard to watch that and not feel something for her right yeah well the whole documentary has essentially been built around her Mm -hmm. so these two guys who made the film are newcomers in documentary terms they've only made shorts before this and they had a mutual friend with amanda knox from seattle and they approached her via the friend and was like we'd like to make a film about you will you be in it and they were astonished when she was like yes and then they went out and got everyone else so they didn't she was the first person they got on board with it. Then they went and got, you know, um, her ex-boyfriend, Raphael Salito. They went and got the Italian prosecutor. Everyone else who speaks on it was like secondary to mm-hmm. Amanda Knox. And that is how it comes across. It is structured in that way. Definitely. And it is obviously the selling point in a case that's been covered every which way. You have to have your selling point as your new contribution. And theirs is, we've got Amanda Knox herself. Exactly. And it's funny because you start interrogating these things from an ethical standpoint and you say, well, is it ethical to, to just present her story? Mm. And then there's other voices. So you're like, okay, but is it ethical to present all these voices, but really make her the focus and therefore the like sympathetic voice of mm. the documentary? And then you're like, well, nothing's neutral. No one's going to make a neutral documentary about this. Yeah. That's impossible. Evidence isn't neutral. So is it ethical to make one at all? And then you like get into this whole pit of there's no going back once you start to pick at these things, right? Yeah. And I have to say, although aware that I was getting maybe a more sympathetic line on her than I would elsewhere I did feel like by the end that the court's decision is the right one yeah so did I but not necessarily because I'm like yeah of course she's completely innocent she wasn't involved 
there's some weird stuff going on there, but there's no DNA evidence. There's no proper proof that you can be like, yes, she was definitely there mm. and she was definitely involved in some way. So you just cannot. I mean, that, that's, there's no more to say. Yeah. Once the police have fucked something up to that extent, you just have to be like, well, sorry. Now she gets to walk free because you fucked up the case. Like, whether she did it or not, we'll never know. But you cannot prosecute someone once you've done all this shit. So an interesting watch, if a slightly ethically tricky one. Yeah, definitely one that makes you think rather than one that makes you happy to watch, let's say. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So the next thing we're going to talk about is A Seat at the Table, the third studio album from Solange Knowles. It features 21 tracks and eight collaborations, including with the rapper Lil Wayne and Kelly Rowland. Exploring issues of racism and psychological trauma, in Solange's own words, the album is a journey of healing, self-reflection, self-discovery and empowerment. I've spent the weekend listening to it, as I think a lot of people around the world did, and I found it such a soothing listen. Mm. I think she really translates that idea of healing really, really well, because it feels like someone just telling you that it's going to be okay. Yeah, I actually can't wait to take a long train journey with this album mm. I feel like it's going to be perfect yeah definitely I just had it on while I was pottering around my room and thinking about my life and it was great yeah it's very smooth it's got a slightly early R&B feel to it in some places mm-hmm. which I really like it's quite unified as a piece of music it's thematically and sonically mm. like consistent isn't it without ever being boring like no it's... absolutely but it feels like every song takes something musically from the previous one mm-hmm. and builds on it rather than being contrasting which is also a valid way of making an album to make like a group of contrasting songs but this is very much like in my classical terms I would think of it as like movements of a symphony so like one united piece lovely there are some elements of this album that I can't fully appreciate because it's another one of these things that speaks out of and to black experience Mm. and I guess that's really present in the title as well a seat at the table like who gets a seat at the table etc and the fact that there's a song called don't 
touch my hair. Yeah. Obviously, there are some songs on this album that I would never sing along to because of, you know, the N word and so on. So there's an element of this album that's never going to be fully for me, but I still find it such an amazing listen and so immersive in the same way that something like Lemonade is a really immersive Mm. listen. Or in the same way that I found Claudia Rankine's Citizen so powerful, which apparently was actually one of the influences for the album. That makes sense. Uh, It does, doesn't it? I feel Mm. like you can really feel that thing. It's so easy to say this about lyrics, but there is something quite poetic in Solange's lyrics. And like even on Rise, they're so simple, those lyrics on Rise. And, you know, just taking like a phrase and then changing it ever so slightly each line. But it really, really works. And it also works when you're thinking about racism in terms of like micro and macro, Mm. how little things, and then you zoom out and you see a bigger picture and things like that. So it's just really, really amazing. And I think it does sort of sit well alongside Lemonade as well. Although they're very, very different in terms of the kinds of music, I think you can tell that they sort of come from the same household. Yeah, you can. I think you can. The other thing that it made me think was Frank Ocean's Blonde, mm-hmm. both in terms of subject matter and also some of the musical style. They're both as well. so laid back mm. in that you could imagine like... I don't know, I feel like you could imagine listening to them like three gin and tonics in on a holiday. But you could also listen to them like when you're trying to get something done in your room. Like there's that real relaxedness of it. It's very versatile. Yeah, and I love now that we're at a place with music where a blockbuster release, which Blonde and A Seat at the Table both have been, can be conceptual and laid back. Mm-hmm. at the same time because as much as I love Lemonade it is like pow a punch in the face like yeah. it's full of immensely catchy pop tunes as well as more reflective quieter things mm-hmm. so it's easy to see how it comes from like a long line of big hit albums that mm-hmm. have really hit people hard to start with whereas both The Seat at the Table and Blonde grow on you they're a bit more difficult they're a bit more elusive and yet millions of people download them immediately and start thinking about them yeah and I really so love that cool. it is really cool and it's so amazing how many I feel like artists like Solange and Frank Ocean maybe didn't get the appreciation they deserved when their debuts came out Mm. and have sort of been more slow burn, almost cult fandoms that have just become more and more mainstream. And it's really nice to see how much love there is out there for this album. Like the coverage of it has been amazing, which is obviously so deserved, but just great to see. And I know that she was tweeting like, oh, I'm so overwhelmed with gratitude and stuff. And that's amazing. I've really enjoyed a lot of the coverage of this album as well. Like there was a great interview that Tarvi Gevinson yes, that was really did. good and obviously Tarvi forever but really really cool I have to say I don't know much about the rest of Solange's music mm. my main engagement with her prior to this was being obsessed with the photos of her wedding <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's so funny because have you seen the, the visuals mm, have come out yes. for a couple of them and it's art directed or directed even I'm sorry if I've got that slightly wrong but the art direction is from her and her husband mm. and it does have that <laughs> a similar feel to their wedding photos which obviously are a huge deal if you're like a really creative couple and you're getting married you are gonna like basically art direct your wedding photos yeah yeah you can see that in some of the shots in her videos for is it for cranes in the sky yes very much and all those people just like sat on the steps yeah. or like looking at the camera yeah. it's wonderful and i love how fashion in all of solange's music videos and just like in her general life becomes like a serious part of it and mm. it's fun and playful and it's not a case of being like yes fashion is always super super political but it is never dismissive and it is a way of like working that aesthetic into stuff in a meaningful 
hallway and there's like this amazing gold dress that she's wearing mm. that's like sort of fringy almost in the video that her mom made and I just love the, the way that she handles all these things like I think she's got such a great sense of like tradition and especially like women and black women handing mm. things down to each other that really makes everything she makes seem so made with love yeah. and oh, I think that's so cool I mean all round I'm excited to get to know her better actually mm. like as an artist I hope she's gonna do more I mean this took her four years and yeah. I think every day of those four years comes through in, in the album so congrats Solange yeah. from us <laughs> as much as that matters but yeah <laughs> Last week, I recommended via a friend. It would be uncharitable of me to claim this as my own. It was definitely a friend's recommendation. I recommended that Caroline watch The Bletchley Circle, which is, to my understanding, a murder mystery style program featuring Anna Maxwell Martin as an ex codebreaker who is using her talents in a more detective y way. Is that a good summary? Yeah, basically, the four central characters are all women who worked in codebreaking at Bletchley Park during the Second World War. Together, as in they know each other. Yes, they were like a little team. Cute. And, so, and they all have like a special ability. I Wait. forgot. Is this made by Marvel? Um, actually, one of them does have like comic book worthy, but it is a totally human realistic. You know, she's just got one of those completely photographic memories where she like remembers everything she's ever looked at or oh, read shit. and can access all information wow. in her head. So yeah, Lucy, one, the one character has that. And then Anna Maxwell Martin's character is really good at like seeing patterns. Another one is really good at research and thinking laterally. Uh, no surprise at all that in her post-war life, she's become a librarian and mm-hmm. archivist, you know. So they've all gone on into civilian life, not able to tell anybody, of course, because they all had to sign the Official Secrets Act. So Anna Maxwell Martin's character hasn't even told her own husband what she did during the war. He just thinks she was like... Extreme. A clerk in a government department or something. So she's the one who kicks it all off. She hears the, the radio reporting of this series of really horrible murders of women in and around London. And she thinks there's a pattern here that the police haven't picked up on. Like her initial instinct is they've missed one. The series of murders, there's one missing in this pattern. So she basically gets the gang back together. Love it. <laughs> and they look into it. And actually, I have to say, having seen some of the pictures of this before it was recommended, I was not expecting it to be as dark as it is is it macabre yeah the crime that they're investigating is horrible oh my god that makes me want to watch it more yeah i think it's a really brave decision the writers of this made actually because you've got a kind of slightly cuddly tea time aspect to it oh second world war or mm, like yeah. women wearing post-war clothing you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing but actually it's about a man who like abducts women kills them in basements and then rapes them you Whoa. know it's really horrible so yeah it's got a really kind of dark undertone and there's some genuine like peril in it as well i got quite a lot mild peril no <laughs> 
actual real peril. peril. <laughs> actual peril when like they get a bit too practical in their investigations. And like one of the women, they she basically poses as the type of girl they think the man wants on a train. Oh, this is the, you know, it's so, quite... such a classic murder mystery. Yeah, like, it's scene. really quite stressful. So yeah, I've been completely obsessed with it in the last week. I was so. going to say, from the way you're talking about it, I assume your reaction has been good. Yeah, it's basically what I've been thinking about. <laughs> oh, great. I, it, it's what a great recommendation. I'm so sad I didn't come up with it because it fits your sort of TV watching yeah. profile, I think, extremely well. And I'm already preemptively sad. So, you know, I'm still in the first series of this three episodes of series. And I know there's only one more series. I think they, I don't think they made any more after oh, the second God. series. That's so sad. So I think like my love for cancelled BBC show The Hour, I think it's, it's going to intensify. It's going to be intense, but brief. Oh, well, I'm so glad you liked it. So thanks to my mate, Harriet. And for next week, I'm going to recommend you a fantastic film from 1985 that I've only recently become aware of called The Sure Thing. The Sure Thing. The Sure Thing, which is a romantic comedy directed by Rob Reiner, who did When Harry Met Sally. Mm -hmm. And it stars a very young, fresh-faced John Cusack as I think Gib I haven't watched it for ages but Gib his name is and he is like a college student and he has this kind of prickly female antagonist you know Mm -hmm. how this works and I'm not some antagonist yeah exactly and basically they end up on this road trip for Christmas break or something to get to California where he's been promised a, quote, sure thing of, like, you know, his friend's older sister or something who's, like, really hot and totally up for anything. So the sure thing is a sex sure thing. A sex thing, thing okay, yeah. Cool. And her very staid, sensible boyfriend is also in California. So they're, like, united in their purpose to get across America in the snow. For sex. For sex, <laughs> essentially. They're a sex road trip together. Yeah, and they have... I think we know where this is going. They have, like, various adventures and, you know, spoiler alert, come to think differently of each other. Okay, great. That sounds like it ticks all my boxes. Like, ka-ching, rom-com, ta-ding, college, tense sex vibes in a car. I'm up for it. Sounds great. Also, the clothes are fantastic. Perfect. It's kind of like Cher from Clueless, but like five years earlier. Oh, yes, please. I I get the feeling it's like a wintry college vibe. Very much so. So they go to like an East Coast school, but they're like from California. There's some plaid and some hats. Oh, she wears some very, very good plaid skirts. Great. I can't wait. Thank you, Caroline. Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Seriously. All you have to do is search SRSLY in iTunes or any other podcasting app you use. While you're there, it would be really great if you could leave us an iTunes review as it helps other people find the show. We also rely on you listeners for your recommendations. So if you want to tell us what you thought about something or if you've got something we should watch, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, via email. All the details are on seriouslypodcast.com. If you like, you can also recommend us to your friends, family, neighbours, strangers. Let them know that you like the podcast and they should be listening to it too. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. You did something for the first